these, uh, these loaves and fishes of ours and ask that you would change the world. That uh, everywhere from central, the Central American island nation of Hispaniola, the Dominican Haiti, to DC, throughout Europe. Lord, multiply these gifts for your namesake. And Lord, when we find neighbors in need, we've set aside these monies to be generous. God, help us be generous um, with the gospel, the good news of Jesus in word as well as in deed. So Lord, take delight in our generosity. This is all, all because of and for you, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. If this morning you are not prepared to make your pledge, know that in the coming weeks you're welcome to, there'll be cards in the lobby on the, in the information wall. That's the wall that has a big sign that says information. And uh, you can grab a card there at any time, fill it out and uh, stuff it, do your best to stuff it in the boxes at the door. You kind of have to do an origami thing. The slots are small, and you can s stuff it in there. But uh, we welcome your participation. This is a whole lot of fun to be generous in this way as a church family. I hope you'll join us in, in the coming days. So early yesterday morning, I said goodbye to my uh, older sister, Joan. She went to the hospital over Thanksgiving. They discovered that her cancer from years before had returned and then on Wednesday this past week, they found that it had spread incurably. About 4.45 yesterday morning, my niece, Kim, called me weeping to tell me that Joan's breathing was labored and it wouldn't be long. And so she put her phone on speaker and held it up next to the best sister I could have asked for. So I got to pray with her. I got to read scripture to her, and I got to say goodbye. Um, and so I'd like to share with you one of the portions of scripture that I read to my sister in her last moments. It'll sound real familiar to you, probably. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And um, it might be that you're wondering why I chose that passage. Um, but I, I think you probably know. Um, of course, Psalm 23, if you're familiar with it, of course I'd read Psalm 23. I mean, you can just sense it, right? It just, it fits. It's what we need in times like this. See, I, I believe that in our darkest hours, our hardest times, even when we're in the shadow of the valley of death itself, um, what we long for, what we need most is the company of a good shepherd, even the good shepherd. You know, I used to have a book uh, on my shelf in my office, and the title of the book was uh, Jesus CEO. 
And, um, you know, I, I get it. You can learn a lot from Jesus about leadership. Um, but, you know, that's not what we long for in these kind of moments, right? The really hard ones. We, want, we need the care of a shepherd, not the vision of a CEO, as helpful as that can be at other times. And I know that some of you are in that place here today, um, hard times, dark times, really sorrowful times, times that seem hopeless. You can't really see your way through it. You may even be like me, staring down death through the eyes of someone you love. And if you're not there right now, all of us will be there. This is so, it's so deeply troubling to me about the supposed Christian teachers who fail to teach the hard, inescapable truth that the way of Jesus is a way of suffering. Um, sometimes they even teach the opposite, that somehow you're exempt from the troubles of this world, and, or at least maybe you should be if you got it right. And I just want to say this morning, no, no, that's not how this life works, okay? That's not how following Jesus, the suffering servant, works. You know, on nearly every page of the Bible, the people of God face troubles, hard ones. They're not exempt. It's just part of living in this terribly broken world. But at the same time, on like every other page, opposite the troubles, is the comforting presence of a good shepherd, right? Even the good shepherd. And that is what we truly need in our most troubling times. That is who we need. We need the good shepherd. And so our passage today that we're about to look at is a very important to us. It's interesting, as comforting as Psalm 23 is um, in our troubles, there's another passage tucked away in the sticky pages of your Bible in the Old Testament that paints an even richer portrait of God as a good shepherd. And it's found in the book of a prophet named Ezekiel in the 34th chapter. And it is, it is a chapter that was written for the hardest of times. See, Ezekiel was a prophet way back around 600 BC. And uh, he was a contemporary of guys like Daniel of Lion's Den fame and Jeremiah, the great, the great prophet. But it was around that time that King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon overthrew Israel's puppet king and Israel went into captivity to Babylon. The prophet Ezekiel was likely amongst those who were taken captive. One writer described the scene this way. They said, Israel's puppet king Zedekiah would reign about 10 years, and then in about 587 B.C., Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. The rebellion failed, and Nebuchadnezzar's fury was hot. When Zedekiah attempted to escape, he was captured, he was brought to Nebuchadnezzar, his sons were brought before him, and they were slaughtered before his eyes. And then his eyes were gouged out, and he was put in chains and taken to Babylon, where he lingered long and died, so that the last thing he ever saw with his eyes was the end of the line of King David, or so he thought. So, so know that our passage is written to a people in hard, hard times, right? The prophet so far in the book of Ezekiel has spent his ink prophesying judgment against God's people, explaining why this captivity was about to happen to them. But um, in, in our chapter, chapter 34, things begin to change and he begins to prophesy hope to those same people. 
And this hope in chapter 34 is dressed up in shepherd's garb, interestingly enough. But even more interesting, so were their troubles. Before we get to the anticipation of the coming of a good shepherd, it's in our passage, uh, first we will look at the dark reality of the presence of bad shepherds. Um, and, and this is where the prophet places the lion's share of the blame for Israel's captivity, on their leaders. When he writes in chapter 34 about shepherds, it's not literal shepherds. It's a metaphor for their governmental and spiritual leaders. Right? And those things were all tangled up. They didn't have separation of church and state. This was a theocracy. So spiritual leaders and governmental leaders went hand in hand back in the day. Listen to how Ezekiel describes the leaders of God's people in his day, starting in verse 1 of chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. <coughs> Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. So these shepherds were no shepherds at all. They're, they're more like wolves. They profited from the flock and did not care for them. This is going to be a recurring indictment as we read through this chapter. You're going to hear that over and over again. They fed off the sheep, but they didn't care for them. They didn't feed them. Ezekiel essentially says here that a selfish shepherd is no shepherd at all. And so there's a warning here for us from a couple of different angles that I'd like us just to think about for a minute. First, for those of you who aspire to be pastors or elders or shepherds in the local church, and those words all kind of describe the same thing, right? If you are in this for personal gain, whether that be financial or reputation, alongside Ezekiel, Peter has something to say to you that ought to give you pause. He says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And it sounds like Peter has Ezekiel's dark shepherds and their heirs in mind as he is writing. You shouldn't be in this for gain, personal gain, especially at the expense of others. Yeah, it's interesting, a long, long time ago, I remember having a conversation with a friend who knew another pastor here in Wake Forest, um, and that pastor's stated goal was to become a millionaire. And uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with being a millionaire, um, but it is kind of dangerous, especially if you're a pastor. And I think Peter and Ezekiel would have cautionary words for him, I think. He's, interesting, he's, he's not a pastor anymore. 
There's another warning here for those of you who sit in this room under a shepherd's care. Know that greed is incompatible with good shepherding. Should you ever find yourself in a church, whether it's this church or another church, where the pastor lives a lifestyle markedly out of step above that of his congregation, your spidey sense should be tingling, right? Personal gain, whether financial or even that of reputation at the expense of God's flock is a judgment-worthy offense to God. And that's what we're about to see. This is a deal breaker for a pastor. Don't follow such a man. Tish Warren writes, um, based on how we think about medical doctors, it helps us think about how we ought to think about spiritual doctors. Similarly, she says, the need for formal structures of training, hierarchy, and accountability in medical schools and medical boards is obvious because we don't want our doctors to simply be popular or relatable. We want them to practice medicine correctly and truthfully, participate in a medical tradition broader than themselves, and serve under the authority and oversight of others. We need to be as discerning in whom we trust with care of souls as we are with care of our bodies. Long, long time ago, a guy made a remarkably contemporary statement. This is, this is about the year 400 AD. His name was Jerome, and this is what he said. Shun as you would the plague a cleric who from being poor has become wealthy or who from being nobody has become a celebrity. That's, that was in the year 400. But the core of the indictment against these shepherds we read in verses 4 and 5. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed, the injured you've not bound up, the strayed you've not brought back, the lost you've not sought, and with force and harshness you've ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. So these false shepherds did not care for people in need, the needy ones, the hurting ones. They ruled them harshly, and as you can imagine, God's response is pretty strong to this. Look, look at the next few verses in verse 7. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God. He's pretty serious at this point in time. Surely, because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves, have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouth that they may not be food for them. So, so God responds really strongly to these kind of shepherds and he says two things. He says, first, he's against them, and he'll remove the false shepherds. He has no use for them. And secondly, he says, I'm going to take their place. I will. God says, I'll do the work of a shepherd, and I will rescue my people myself. He continues with that and says it over and over. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself, I will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, 
by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. God says, move over, false shepherds. I'm taking over, right? And he says it over and over and over again. I, I think someone counted at least 15 times. God says, these are my sheep. They're mine. This is my flock. They belong to me. And as a result, he says, I'm gonna be their shepherd. And if you picked up on it, it's like he's the polar opposite of the false shepherds. Did you hear the same kind of language? Back in verse four, those those false shepherds, they didn't help the weak or the sick or the injured or the strayed or the lost. They were, they were harsh. But here we see the Lord. He seeks and searches for the lost. He brings back the scattered. He binds up the injured. He rescues. He feeds. He causes them to lie down secure in his care. All that those false shepherds were not, God is for his people. Okay? They were non-shepherds. They'd gone AWOL, Right? But he is with his people, caring for them in their greatest needs. They were harsh. He is compassionate and caring. And so this portrait of God as the good shepherd, it echoes throughout all over the Old Testament. Um, Isaiah would write, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Jeremiah says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. And then famously, Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. God is a good shepherd for his people. But in our passage, God's not done judging just yet. Uh, Ezekiel declares now that he's going to judge between the sheep themselves. He continues and says in verse 16, I'll seek the lost, I'll bring back the strayed, and I'll bind up the injured, and I'll strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I'll destroy. I'll feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats, it's not enough for you to feed on the good pasture. Or is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture? And a drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet and must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you've scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock, and they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. So it's kind of like there's a flock within the flock. There's some, some sheep that belong to God, and there's some in the mix that don't. Now, it could be referring to those same false shepherds once again, or it could simply be other members of the people of Israel 
who suffer the same self-centered, me-first kind of spirit. And that can creep into us as well. Yeah, I remember I ran across an account not from our church. Okay, this is not from our church. Uh, whenever this church, this was this, this was this guy's pattern. He was known when new members would join the church and they would line up and people would come up and go through that line and welcome them to the church. He would pass out his business card and promise to call on them to get their business. Right? It's church for gain. My gain. I think of the scenario in Corinth in the New Testament. Some of you remember it. In 1 Corinthians 11, there were some there who whined and dined to excess while others suffered in hunger at the door. And Paul says the poor were humiliated. See, it's not just the shepherds that are in the crosshairs here. All who abuse the church for personal gain at the expense of the least of these are targeted. And the prophet, now he, he returns to hope for these suffering ones, but he says something that's really puzzling to get there. Verse 23, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I the Lord will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So the, the problem, if you're tracking with me, is back in verse 15, who does God say is going to be their shepherd? He says, I'll, I myself, he's emphatic, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down. But here in verse 23, he says, his servant David, King David, will be their shepherd. So which is it? Is God himself going to be their shepherd or is David going to be their shepherd? It's made a bit more complicated when you realize that David's been dead for about 400 years. So what, what's going on here? How does this work together? And I think, um, just to kind of cut to the chase on this, the, the only way to make sense of this is to look forward and see Jesus as the fulfillment of this good shepherd prophecy, as the Davidic shepherd of Ezekiel 34. You know, Jesus is intimately connected in the New Testament with King David. And one, one writer summarized it this way, Jesus was a descendant of David in Matthew. His birth was announced by an angel as the son of David in Luke. He's consistently attributed to being of the line of David in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even Revelation. The prophecy in Ezekiel 34 says that the shepherd will feed the people. And Jesus came saying, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. We could add to that. Just as God says in verse 17 that he's going to divide the sheep from the goats. He says, I divide between sheep and sheep, between rams and goats. That might sound familiar to some of you. In Matthew 25, Jesus teaches and he says the exact, he's going to do that exact thing. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 23 in chapter 34 says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. But Jesus in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So in verse 16 of that same chapter, he says, there's gonna be one flock and one shepherd. In John 10, Jesus is teaching his disciples who he is, and he's using the example of a good shepherd, and you hear echoes of Ezekiel 34 all throughout John chapter 10 by Jesus. Jesus says there that he unites the flock as one. He knows them by name. They're his. He protects them from wild beasts. He pretends... He prevents them from being scattered. He cares for them deeply, even laying down his life on them. And this image of Jesus as shepherd, good shepherd, is all over the New Testament, broader New Testament too. 1 Peter 5, Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd who is coming again. Hebrews 13 says Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep who's risen from the dead. Revelation chapter 7 paints this eternal portrait at the throne of God. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. See, the face of the good shepherd in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament to be Jesus. This is how both God and David can be the good shepherd at the same time. Because Jesus says, also in John 10, I and the Father are one. Pastor Ligon Duncan explains it well. He says, how is it that God himself can be our king and shepherd and he can appoint someone to be our shepherd? Because, he says, the one that he appointed is God, God in the flesh. I and the Father are one, Jesus said. God appointed God to be our shepherd in Jesus. And that's what the Christmas story is about, he says. The shepherd we need is God, and God has appointed the shepherd we need, and he is God, and that shepherd is Jesus. Now, Ezekiel's prophecy closes out with some beautiful descriptions of a new covenant that we have in Christ, a covenant of peace, a covenant of shalom that Jesus is ushering in for his people. Um, It was heralded and fulfilled in part in his first coming and it's going to be fully fulfilled when he returns again. You're going to hear as I read it to you language that's going to remind you if you're familiar with it of what the future looks like in the new earth with Christ as as our good shepherd. So let me just read the closing verses to this passage. I will make with them a covenant of peace. And banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I'll make them in the places all around my hill a blessing. I'll send on the showers in their season. There'll be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in the land. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no longer be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they'll know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I'm your God, declares the Lord God. So the picture is Jesus bringing justice and blessing economically, agriculturally, 
politically, spiritually, in every way. He's lavishing care on his people. He's blessing them. He is with them, it says. They're his people, and they know he's their God. And this echoes the, the language of what the book of Revelation says our future is going to be like. Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they'll be his people, and God himself will be them as their God. Just echoes right out of Ezekiel 34. The next chapter of Revelation describes the, the fruitfulness of that great future heavenly city. Through the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. See, this is what the reign of the good shepherd is like in its fullness. This is what Jesus is like. This is what it's like to have Jesus as your Lord. Is Jesus your shepherd? Do you look to him for protection and provision and to be set free from the slavery that is your sin? There was a, there was a fascinating little book written, gosh, probably 25 years ago or more, um, by a former shepherd named Philip Keller. And the title of the book was A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And he kind of took what he knew about sheep. He'd been a, a shepherd in East Africa. And he looked at Psalm 23 through that lens. It's a beautiful little book. And he said that the land adjacent to his, where he was shepherding was rented out to a tenant shepherd who didn't take good care of his sheep. His land was overgrazed, eaten down to the ground. The sheep were thin, diseased by parasites, attacked by wild animals. Keller especially remembered how the neighbor's sheep would line up at the fence and blankly stare in the direction of his green grass and his healthy sheep, almost as if they yearned to be delivered from their abusive shepherd. They longed to come to the other side of the fence and belong to him. And that's what Jesus offers, right? That's the life, the fullness of life that Jesus said he came to offer to us. Paul Miller is another author. He describes what life without the good shepherd is like. He looks at Psalm 23, and he literally takes out everything that says about the good shepherd and what he does. I've got it on about three slides here, and you can see he goes through, and he just crosses out anything about the good shepherd in Psalm 23. All through those verses, the first or the six verses in that psalm, he goes all the way through. And this is what is left. It reads like this. My, I shall be in want. Me, me. My soul, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear me, me in the presence of my enemies, my head, my cup, me all the days of my life, I. And Miller continues and he says, we are left obsessing over our wants in the valley of the shadow of death, paralyzed by fear in the presence of our enemies. No wonder so many are so cynical. With the good shepherd gone, we are alone in a world of evil. And that's why I read Psalm 23 to my sister yesterday morning. See, in our darkest hours and our deepest troubles, we need a shepherd. We need a good one. The good one. One who can guide us through the valley of the shadow of death itself. 
And Jesus is that shepherd. The Old Testament tells us. The New Testament makes it plain. Jesus is that shepherd. Is he yours? See, today, Jesus waits to be your shepherd, to rescue and protect and feed and guide and care for you in every way, to set you free from the sins that enslave you. And one day he's going to have you lie down secure in the greenest of pastures and beautiful still waters. He's going to fully satisfy you deep down in your soul. So this morning, would you cast your cares on Jesus? Whatever's unbearable for you, whatever's crushing you, whatever you're ashamed of, whatever you're afraid of, will you take it to Jesus this morning? Listen to his shepherd-like invitation during this busy and sometimes intensely sorrowful time of year. Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest. He says, even rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Give us ears to hear the beauty of you being our shepherd. Forgive us the foolishness of self-shepherding. We think we can do it until we get that phone call and then it's pretty exposed. We need a shepherd who can even take us through that valley. And so Lord, hear the prayers of your people now. They cry out to you and offer you up big unbearable burdens and overwhelming troubles and great sins. And I know, Lord, you can bear it all. You've borne it all. That's why you went to the cross, to bear our sins. So extend grace and mercy and faith now to each one in this room as they have need. We trust you to be our good shepherd now when we pray Christ in your name. Amen.